Are you curious about how precision nutrition and artificial intelligence are revolutionizing the animal protein industry? That was good. We could establish or set up our business there. Now we are. Now we have a, a, a BV company. Uh, a, a Dutch company. No. Um, uh, you didn't come to Austria. Such a big. Yes. Join me as I speak with Mauricio Agudello and Lina Maria Toro, the CEO and CFO of Biotech, a company at the forefront of this innovation. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, no. we have we have some we have some room. We would need you. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Yes, even now we are um, thinking about or, or starting the possibility to transfer the IP. Mm. For two, we are going to to create the the IP in the in Europe uh, because we want to produce there also and and develop some technologies and and products there mm -hmm. for the European market. But yeah, but uh, further. Uh, we are thinking to move uh, IP from Colombia to, to Europe and become our European company as a mother company or the headquarters. Yeah, and it's something that we are thinking about. We need to slip off it. Having the same problems we had this year about concerning the, the raw material costs. Actually, uh, when you were talking about this uh, different protein uh, alternatives earlier with Alina, I think it was this German work girl, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, we're, no matter which kind of protein, protein you're, you're, you're offering to the market, we're all going to face exactly the same problem with the costs mm -hmm. and the logistics. And um, it, it all began with COVID. And now it's with this Russia-Ukraine situation, even in South America, we're feeling it really strong with the costs of the raw materials. With a combined 13 years of experience in the biotechnology and financial sectors, they will share insights on the big challenges facing the industry in 2022 and how they are tackling logistics and inflation and what to expect in the animal nutrition industry in 2023. Enjoy the show and promote Lina and Mauricio now to two speakers. Uh, it's really good to see you. Um, so, it's, yeah, here, yeah, Lina, Lina Hello. Mauricio, good to see you. Good to good see to you see, too. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Brief introduction Albert Miesbichler is a business angel from Austria, Vienna. We were just talking about diagnostics and uh, Lina and Maurizio, maybe you can give an introduction about what, what you do. Yeah, uh, we are working to support uh, the production uh, of animal protein in a more sustainable way. Our approach is designing, produce the next generation of fidelities and we call microbiomes. So we design a complete microbiome according with a diet and with a breed of the animals. Uh, the idea is to improve the absorption of nutrients, uh, replace antibiotics, growth promoters, and, and even reduce the emission in greenhouse gases. 
Uh, all of these uh, focus on improve the the gut and the microbiome in the gut. So we are producing microbiomes uh, in the lab and we standardize them, we microencapsulate them, and then we transfer to animals. How do you do that? Yeah, we have these four technological units, the, this uh, fermentation. Uh, so we cultivate uh, microbial communities uh, that are yeah, the microbiomes, uh, but also we have the sequencing, uh, genomic part, when we standardize the different genes and community involved in this microbiome. Uh, also, we have artificial intelligence when we use to predict different uh, approach in the fermentation process and even how this microbiome can we work in the field according with yeah, different variables. And, and finally, we have the microencapsulation technology uh, when we can protect uh, active principles such as microbiomes uh, to protect against thermal and digestive processes until they reach the gut and release their in a controlled way. Yeah, basically the short part. But yeah, it's it's a it's very challenging this process. I believe that. Albert, it was a pleasure seeing you today. I wish you Merry Thank Christmas you so and a good start into the next year and let's catch up soon. Also the best from my side. Have nice holidays. Good luck for next year. Bye. See you. Bye bye. bye. See you. As far as I understand your technology, you produce the microbiomes in the labs. And how do you get that back in the animal then? Uh, what's, is it uh, bio-nutrition, basically? It's, uh... Well, we, uh, we we start with, yeah, feces, matter. This is the starter of the, mm. of the yeah, broth. And from there, we start to develop this uh, novel fermentation process and to understand and standardize, yeah. And it's really tailor-made. So it's tailor-made for different animals, yeah. different outcomes. How much difference do you see between uh, when you compare traditional nutrition and your nutrition? What's what's What are the big differences that you see? Yeah, and now we are improving the digestibility of the dry matter. Yeah, mm. as, as you mentioned before, it's very tailor-made uh, product or feed additive. And it depends on the raw materials that you are using in the diet. So, yeah, uh, what we are uh, seeing here with this new technology, we started with the combination of different uh, strains, like probiotics, uh, but then we keep moving uh, on and, and, and start with the microbiomes with more complex communities and see uh, how the digestibility of the dry matter changes um, time by time in the fermentation process. So what we are doing is uh, adapting this microbiome to this diet uh, in the time, uh, like evolving the, the microbiome in order to become more efficient with this specific diet. And one of the ways to measure this is through the digestibility of the nutrients um, and, and all other way to measure the is yeah is through the genomic part to standardize what we are getting in the fermentation process. Mm -hmm. when but the, then in the animal we are improving also the feed conversion ratio is the the, the main um, goal goal yeah in the variable that we measure in, in field 
and also replace antibiotics group promoters. Uh, we are still yeah, working on that, improve the cost of the diet and maximizing the, the diet. What we're expecting with this is uh, by time um, improve the efficiency or the next generation of microbiomes. So yeah, it has a huge potential we see because we we can change some raw material, for example, uh, increase a little bit more fiber uh, and in the lab evolve this microbiome to become more efficient or to express the gen- the genes involved in the in this kind of hydrolysis or yeah conversion of these uh, fibers instead of um, the normal carbohydrates uh, part it's, it's a great development uh when we think about 2022 what were your big challenges for your companies yeah we had are really huge challenges from different aspects, from the sales part, also from the market. We need to connect with the the pain of the customers, the the animal protein producers, uh, and try to find uh, a good solution, a novel solution that, because now this industry, the feed industry is really, full of different competitors and different <clears throat> companies, huge companies that are offering a lot of different uh, uh, solutions. So it's really important um, to go deeper with the pain of the client to see how we can transform the way that they are um, using the animal nutrition and, and and that was the biggest challenge that we have in 2020 to keep evolving also as a company as a as a startup and and for sure the technical size is also a huge challenge we hire people very high skilled professional in fermentation process and sequencing and, and yeah all, all of these technical and market challenges was, uh, yeah, is, but is the kind of problem that we want to solve. So, but I also would add in a not technical situation, this whole prices, uh, uh, crisis we had all over the world because it, it, it was difficult to determine which was going to be the, the, the selling price for our product because we didn't mm-hmm. have like a lot of, uh, we, we weren't really certain about which were the prices of our of our raw materials because every month they were changing. So I would I would say that was for me, for example, in my role as a C, as the CFO to to face for 2022, which was the yeah, the, the cost behavior. It was such a pain, <laughs> I would how, say. How did you tackle that problem as a CFO? Uh, well, what we did, it, it was like we were considering different suppliers from all over the world. And also we had to consider new logistics for transportation for the raw materials. 
And well, Colombian government also made a lot of decisions trying to favor all the difficulties that we are local uh, producers were facing. So we took advantage of all these national policies and also uh, international uh, uh, trades. So um, yeah, still we had to fix the price which is not very good in animal industry because mm -hmm. we are all in the same crisis. So if you had to make an adjustment in your final product price, then the market is going to feel it too. And then it, we were kind of uh, feeling uh, insecure about doing this change in the price of the product. But then the, the market accepted it because it's not just a, a normal feed additive what we're offering right now, but something really tailor-made which is really offering them the opportunity to, uh, at the same time, share these benefits to their final customers. So it's like when when we understand what the the, the, the pain of our client, as Marisa was telling, and and then we we give them a solution, a tailor made solution, then it's kind of difficult for them to to switch your value proposition to any other supplier. So yeah, but however, we, we made our best to, to not to affect our customers in, in this subject. Which inflation rates did you observe in your environment? How high were they? Well, they were actually some rates that increased in 170%. 170%? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had to really deal with it, but not all the raw materials or not all the supplies. But but then we had to really, really, really make a huge turnaround in many of our processes and and stuff to 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 being able to to face the situation. Mm -hmm. I think in in Europe the biggest cost driver was energy energy prices. Uh, I think the average yeah. was four five hundred percent increase, and I think at the peak it was up to one thousand four hundred percent, if I remember it right. Um, but this, what about the energy prices in Colombia? How how are no. they? Nothing. Uh, in South America, we didn't feel it that way. Yeah. Let's say that the the biggest uh, impact was in the material costs and the mm. transportation costs. Uh, but energy, well, maybe fuel or, or but, but electricity, yeah. we didn't feel it. I'm curious to learn more from your perspective. Um, when I think about transportation, I read very often in the news that uh, there is almost no, has been almost no capacity in the last three, two years to ship goods around the world. How did you experience uh, the transportation sector in your industry? So you said that you buy, purchase globally, basically. So what was your perception of transportation capacity? Well, um, huge companies such as FedEx or DHL, they had to change a lot of their policies about which goods they're receiving for transporting. And uh, they're also changing, of course, the prices and all the logistics and, and everything. But uh, they told us, like with enough time for, for, for us to, to plan our costs in advance. So it was easy for us to, to work with it. And with different uh, freight cargoes, they also uh, informed us about the issues they were facing like months before. And it's, and then we had to change because we were, we used to plan our transportation like 
two months, three months in advance. Now we had to plan like nine, nine months in advance. Nine and, months. And yeah, because you have to consider like, not right now, but like at the beginning of 2022, it was like, yeah, it, and at the end of 2021, we, we had to make a, a, a plans for a long-term perspective. Now it's getting like normal again, kind of. And um, yeah, but but in in logistics, we had to change the, the term we were making our plans. What about, I remember our podcast that uh, you also had plans to come to Europe, um, create a subsidiary. Uh, how did that project evolve? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. That was good. We could establish or set up our business there. Now we are. Now we have a, a, a BV company, uh, a, a Dutch company. Yeah. Um, you didn't come to Austria. Such a pity. <laughs> we, we, yes. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, no. we have we have some we have some room. We would need you. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yes, even now we are um, thinking about or, or starting the possibility to transfer the IP. Mm. For two, we are going to to create the the IP in the in Europe uh, because we want to produce there also and and develop some technologies and and products there mm -hmm. for the European market. But yeah, but uh, further, uh, we are thinking to move uh, IP from Colombia to to Europe and become our. European company as a mother company or the headquarters. Yeah, and it's something that we are thinking about. We need to sleep on it. What what were your biggest learnings uh creating a subsidiary in Europe while having the headquarter in Colombia? <laughs> <laughs> There were plenty of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lina was more involved in the technical the process. process. Yeah, of create this this company uh, so I think yeah. you can talk well better. the biggest learning is that we have to understand that are very different cultures South American and European ones so for us it was uh, just registering the the, 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 the company what took like a, a month and a half yeah, it, it, that, was, that was fast for Europe <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and 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 then they were asking for a lot of papers and a lot of information, which were not used to it. But then we faced it the best way we could. We also were we did the process by being consulted with a Dutch company, so it it made it it made the process easier. Mm -hmm. And then opening the bank account yeah. was even harder. So it was like. Wow, if it's just the beginning, what's going to be the rest of the story, you know? Yeah. But 
but but I think the the setup the company was normal, easy, and faster. But the bank account it was really challenging, and one of the uh, things uh, that made that harder was because the owner of the um, Dutch company is a Colombian company, mm-hmm. and the owner of the Colombian company are two entrepreneurs and another VC, yeah, another company. So yeah, it, yeah, it like takes the, like the a whole, lot of like papers. The, the table from the, the whole structure made the banks to to really had to analyze yeah. a lot. It took months to 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 have this bank account, but finally we did it. So we're now finally starting to to move our process and and, and starting to 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 move the office in the Netherlands. What should, in your opinion, what should be better? Um, to make it more easy for entrepreneurs who want to create a subsidiary in Europe, uh, which free improvements would you recommend if you had a chance to talk to a politician? And he asks this question. Um, I think to find a good advisor, uh, people that yeah. uh, were in that field, and and as it's going to be easier if you are... And a natural person who is the owner of the company instead of have a, a company. Yeah, a company. Owning the, the business. Really? It, is it, is it, it, yeah. Is there such a difference between? Yeah, it's yeah. a huge difference. It's a huge one. If it's not, it's just a person, then you can have a bank account in one week. Really? If there's a company involved, yeah. then it will take months. Why? Why your opinion? Why is that so so tricky? Yeah. Well, I think it's because of the Sarlaf policies. Because people have to, like the banks and the government, have to take care of themselves about terrorism and and laundry money laundering and and stuff like that. And by doing this, it's harder to 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 reach the information from companies than from pe- natural people. You know so. But- But I always thought it's uh, it doesn't matter really if it's a it's, it's a person or if it's a, a limited company that owns it because the process is pretty much the same, and it goes you say it goes much faster, much quicker for for people than for the yeah entities. because yeah it's because people are are findable you know they're they're touchable and then it's fine it's easier to have information about normal people but about companies and abroad which is our case. It's harder for for the local governments and and local banks to to find some information about our commercial behavior if we're doing the right businesses and stuff like that. Yeah, and it depends how big is the owner company. If mm-hmm. you are a yeah, startup and and you are opening a subsidiary or yeah, daughter company, so they need to take a look to yeah to the final. Uh, owners and maybe it takes more time but if you are a big company I think also it's going to be easier mm-hmm. um, but this is more for the financial part for the bank account yeah. because uh, the chamber of commerce yeah you can just uh, create this uh, agreement and present And it's not too difficult. Yeah, but regarding your question about these three uh, uh, advices, I would give to local governments. I, I would, I wouldn't. I would respect 
local policies. And we understand that European countries have to take care a lot out of, of how is business running in every country. So it's like the only advice I would give the different authorities are or these organizations are all the time promoting uh, foreign companies to to open their businesses in European countries to be more clear about this this situation about these conditions because when we were discussing about which country are we going to have our subsidiary if it's going to be Austria or if it's going to be the Netherlands or Germany France Spain none of them said about the conditions if you had this cap table uh, with a company owning your own mm-hmm. company so it's like I think it's lack of information while taking the, the the decision but afterwards if those are the rules then you just have to follow them yeah i always thought it's uh it's easy when you have uh, set up the company so when incorporated the legal entity then going to the bank is just a matter of a few hours so you get a bank account um, and can start transferring uh funds into into your mm-hmm. legal entity um, because basically in 2022, we have a lot of advancements in fintech. And uh, now I learned with your conversation that uh, there is still two-step process. So you have first to face the hurdle of creating the legal entity. And then there's a second hurdle, which means uh, creating a bank account. Did I get the right understanding? So this is uh, for basically for non-Europeans, a huge challenge. No, actually, uh, opening the bank account, the, the, the issue is for Europeans and non-Europeans. So it's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, the the registration of the company it might be harder if you come from abroad, but the the opening of the bank account it will take a lot of time, no matter where you're from. I just wondered if actually you... we made the process as being Dutch. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I just wondered maybe just set up a PayPal account and use the PayPal account for a company. It's a it's a matter of a few hours. Um, yeah. When when we when we think about twenty twenty three. Where do you see the food industry, your industry, heading towards? Yeah, I think the industry is growing and it will keep growing. Um, we have big challenges to to solve, such as yeah, reduce the use of cereals, um, reduce the emissions, the greenhouse gases, the menu. Um, and also reduce the the additives that can have side effects like antibiotics or just to talk about the animal protein field that is where we are but in general terms uh, I think it's keep growing and but the other people are more conscious about the sustainability and try to how we can produce uh, enough uh, animal protein to nourish this growing population. So, so yeah, and, and how to reduce the cost is very important now. The, the raw material uh, is, is, is high and, and I think it's going to keep high because the world and different things uh, yeah. put high prices for, for important raw materials like corn or or other sources of protein. So the challenge is how we can produce more with less 
natural resources uh, in in more sustainable way. And yeah, I think there are too many startups and companies and huge companies uh, innovating in that field, uh, looking at what they need to do in order to improve that efficiency. Uh, and, and happily, we we will find good solution, noble solution. So yeah, it's, it's what I expect for the next year. What's your expectations, Lena, for the uh, financial part of the business? Where do you see the industry heading to regards to logistics, price development, inflation? Well, we are all going to keep having the same problems we had this year about concerning the, the raw material costs. Actually, uh, when you were talking about this uh, different protein uh, alternatives, earlier with Alina, I think it was this German work girl. Mm. It's like, yeah, we're no matter which kind of protein protein you're 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 offering to the market, we're all gonna face exactly the same problem with the costs mm. and the logistics. And um it, it all began with COVID. And now it's with this Russia Ukraine situation, even in South America, we're feeling it really strong with the costs of the raw materials. And 2023, it's not going to be very different. So it's, we have to be very creative and we have to be very serious about the possibility to keep um, offering some solutions to the market that can be actually affordable for everyone. Because it's not only about producing because we, the human population is increasing. It's also how their how their like their familiar economy is also evolving, and we have to understand that. So all the time we have to be monitoring all the all the costs all over the world. How can we find some solutions that can reach uh, the different tables everywhere? That sounds great. Lina and Mauricio, let's pull the next speaker in. It's uh, Kimberly Cornfield from okay. the UCL. So I can make a, a brief introduction. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would be grateful if you could show your support by liking it, leaving a comment and sharing it with others. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to my channels to stay updated on future episodes. Your support helps me reach more people who may benefit from the content. Thank you for being a part of our community. Enjoy your day.